All right, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. What a great song to lead into our sermon with. And really, that's a, our prayer, that God would give us light through His Word, that He would feed us, that He would satisfy us, that He would nourish us through it. That's what we look for the Lord to do. We've been looking at the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Um, last week in Matthew 6, 5 through 8, excuse me, two weeks ago, uh, in verses 5 through 8 of Matthew 6, Jesus taught us how not to pray. And then last week, uh, really in verses 9 through 15, he teaches us how to pray. And we broke that into to two parts. So last week we looked at verses 9 and 10. This week we're going to look at verses 11 through 15. But I want to read that whole passage together uh, so that we have uh, the whole context in mind before us. And so uh, if you would, uh, if you're using one of the church Bible, Bibles, you should find that passage on page 811. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, I wish I'd written down all of the words that we just sang because that would be an excellent prayer for us to pray right now. Uh, And so, Lord, uh, we just echo those words that you would reveal your glory through the preaching of your word, that you would reveal Christ to us. Lord, I pray that uh, the sermon that I preach, Lord, that your strength would be made perfect in my weakness, but that it would not simply be a sermon that you could hear in any synagogue or mosque, that it would not simply be a sermon that tells us what we need to do, but it would be a sermon that points us to Jesus uh, and what he has done for us. Uh, For that is really where the power of the gospel lies, not in our response to it, uh, but in what you have done on our behalf. So, Lord, would you show us Jesus? And we pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, You may be familiar with this prayer, uh, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. But since it's actually a prayer that Jesus teaches to his disciples, to his followers, I think it's actually better to call it the disciples' prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus teaches us to focus, uh, teaches us what to focus on as we pray. And so first, in verses 9 and 10, we talked about this last week, we focus on God's priorities. His name, his kingdom, his will. 
And these are what uh, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, calls upward prayers, right? Prayers that focus on God. In his book on prayer, called Prayer, uh, Keller says this, God-centeredness comes first because it heals the heart of self-centeredness, which curves us in on ourselves and distorts all our vision. And so we begin with God's name and his kingdom and his will because that, as Keller says, that, that fixes our view, right? We have a tendency to curve inward on ourselves and to be self-centered and preoccupied, uh, but Praying the way that Jesus teaches us to pray actually lifts up our vision uh, and causes us to see God first and then uh, to focus on our needs. And I think that's important to say, right, that uh, just because we focus on God's priorities, that doesn't mean that our needs are irrelevant or unimportant. Uh, In fact, that's why we pray. We pray because we need. We're needy. Or as I mentioned last week, I think that's probably the reason, the main reason we don't pray very often is because really we don't think that we need to. Uh, We have a tendency, or I have a tendency, I won't throw you in the the boat with me. Uh, I have a tendency to view prayer as this extra thing, this kind of add-on to life, right, That, that I can accomplish, that I'll work hard and I'll accomplish all that I need to accomplish And then when my skills run out, then prayer is that kind of break glass in case of emergency sort of thing. But that's not the way Jesus and the Bible talk about prayer. We want to be very independent of just about everyone. Jesus, on the other hand, is very dependent. And so he prays. A prayer to Jesus is like breathing. It's like eating. It's something that he has to do in order to live. And we're talking about the second person of the Trinity. God himself made flesh. He does all that he does by relying on his Father and receiving from his Father. That's what happens in prayer. Uh, We're trusting and we're receiving. That's how Jesus Views prayer, and that's how Jesus wants us to view prayer. A few quotes here on prayer that uh, have been helpful to me. One from a couple from older authors, one from a a newer one. Uh, First, from Andrew Murray. He says this Time spent in prayer will yield more than that given to work. Do you believe that? Time spent in prayer will yield more than that given to work. Prayer alone gives work its worth and its success. Prayer opens the way for God himself to do his work in us and through us. It's Murray, Andrew Murray. This is Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Hudson Taylor. And then a newer author, a man named Paul Miller from his book, A Praying Life, which I would highly recommend to you. He says, when we pray, we are asking Jesus to incarnate with us, uh, to get in our skin and in our shoes. We know that Jesus does that, that 
that the God of heaven and earth scrubs floors. We know that he, he scrubbed human feet. And so Miller says, take Jesus at his word. Ask him. Tell him what you want. Get dirty. Write out your prayer request. Don't mindlessly drift through life on the American narcotic of busyness. American narcotic of busyness. How, how, how does that speak to your own competence and independence versus a dependence on God? That was striking to me. He says, if you try to seize the day, the day will eventually break you. Seize the corner of his garment and don't let it go until he blesses you. He will reshape the day. That's what we're doing when we pray. So last week we focused on God's honor, God's rule, and God's will. Those things give us a good frame. They teach us to look up. But now teaches, uh, Jesus teaches us to pray for our own needs. And so we're going to uh, look at this three points, God's provision God's pardon and God's protection. And my thanks to Pastor Randy Pope for those words. Uh, sometimes you come across an outline that's a lot better than anything you come up with. And so uh, I give Randy the credit for that. God's provision, God's pardon, and God's protection. First, God's provision. Look in verse 11. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Or give us today what we need for tomorrow. Something like that. The words are a little bit uh, hard to translate. But the meaning is that idea of daily necessity. And so Jesus, right in the breath before this, teaches us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And then it's like a, it's like a hard shift. He teaches us to pray that God would give us our daily bread. Because those two things don't really seem to go together, right? This big kind of global, all-encompassing kingdom prayer, and then my needs. That, that, was, that was such a hard shift that a lot of early writer, writers thought that, that Jesus didn't really, that, that there must be some kind of deeper spiritual meaning to it. That, that he was talking about the nourishment of his word, or he was talking about communion. He couldn't just simply mean bread. But... Jesus does mean bread. Jesus does care about our needs. Yes, right, we do pray for his kingdom to come, and that's broad in its scope, but we also pray that God would give us everything that we need, our daily needs. Not luxuries, but necessities. There's no need to over-spiritualize this. God cares about our needs. He, he made us in his image, and, and we are capable of doing amazing things, more amazing things than any other creature on the planet. But he also made us with limits. And as we talked about in Sunday school, those limits came actually before the fall. We were made limited creatures. We were made to depend on food to survive. And so Jesus teaches us to pray for that. And notice it's daily dependence, not monthly, not quarterly, not yearly, daily. So think about all of the things that have to happen to bring bread 
or if you, you know, have to eat gluten-free or kale, whatever it is, right? Think about all of the things that have to happen in order for food to get to your mouth. Now, we live in a farming community, so it's a little bit easier for us to think about that because we see some of that reality on a daily basis. But, but think about all of the complex details, everything that has to happen in nature, everything that has to happen with animals, all of the decisions that have to be made. I mean, the things that affect global fuel prices so that gas goes in trucks that carry food. I mean, like, just, just think about all of the myriad, I mean, the infinite details that go into getting food on your table. And then think about what has to happen to that food once it enters your mouth in order for your body to turn it into energy and survive. How many of those things do you have control over? Very few. Right? I don't tell my stomach to start digesting. It does it on its own. Or should. Right? I don't, I don't tell my cells how to take those calories and do whatever it is that they do. Right? That, it does that. Involuntarily. I don't... I mean, I do know a farmer. Right? Uh, many of you, you know, farm and provide food that goes on my family's table, but, like, I don't tell you how to raise your chickens or how to raise your peaches or anything like that. All of that stuff happens outside of my control. This is why we pray before meals. Right? It gives us an opportunity to sit down and really contemplate for a split second all that God does to, to meet our needs, to provide for us. Uh, and so... Jesus is teaching us to realize, now here's the good thing, even if you don't realize, realize it, God still provides for you. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. God, God meets a lot of needs for people who don't even recognize it. But for his people, his followers, for us to acknowledge that we need him to provide for us, that's what Jesus is teaching us to pray and then he teaches us to pray for God's pardon. The first is a prayer for our physical needs. This is a prayer for our spiritual needs. Notice he says, he tells us to pray that God, to ask God to forgive our debts. Why do you think he uses that word debt instead of sin? He could have easily said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. But he doesn't. He uses the word debt. Why do you think that is? What is it? What is debt? Right? It's this, it's this hole. It's this gap between the borrower and the lender. Between the person who's in debt and the one who owns the debt. And there are typically right, two ways out of debt. The, the, the normal way out of debt, the way that the, the relationship that I have with Truist Bank is I pay back that debt. Right? I've borrowed money and I have to pay it back. That's the normal way. The abnormal way, at least economically speaking, is for debt to be forgiven. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Um, we have this notion, or some of us do, that uh, when a debt is forgiven... 
We think about that word forgiveness. We think, oh, the debt is just erased. It's just kind of done away with, you know, like it like it was imaginary and there was a debt and then there wasn't a debt. But if you think about it in in monetary terms, that actually is not what happens. Right. If I borrow a hundred dollars from you, you give me a hundred dollars. I ask you for a hundred dollars. You give it to me and I spend it on groceries. And so in our current economic condition, that would buy like I think one thing of eggs and a, a gallon of milk. Right. But I spend that hundred dollars. And then I can't pay you back. And I come to you and I say, hey, I'm sorry, I I can't pay you back. And you say, that's okay, I'll forgive you. Does that make the hundred dollars just go away? Was it imaginary to just kind of vanish into thin air? No, no, no. What's happened is you've taken that hundred dollar loss yourself. Right. Rather than impute it to me. You've taken the debt on yourself. You are the one who takes on the cost, the loss. And that's exactly what happens spiritually. Sometimes we think that when God forgives our sin, he just erases it. And in one sense, we could say he does. He erases it from my record. But someone's record has to show it. Uh, Someone's ledger takes that debt. And in this case... It's God himself. This prayer that Jesus teaches us uh, assumes two things. One, we are in debt to God. And the Bible tells us we're indebted to God because of our sin. He owns the debt. We owe him. And it assumes the second thing. We can't pay what we owe. Right? We... Beginning in the garden with our first parents, we borrowed and stole the goodness of God until we couldn't pay it back. We took that sin shovel off our back and we just dug the hole. And then we get near the bottom and we look up and we realize we can't dig ourselves out. That's what this prayer assumes, that we are in debt to God and we are unable to pay it. And so what we must do is ask God to forgive it. We must ask God to cancel it. And in order to do that, that debt has to go somewhere. And it goes on the Lord Jesus. That's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. That we have a debt we cannot pay. And so the Son of God voluntarily pays it for us. He takes that debt on himself. So why, do, why does Jesus teach us to pray this often? If Jesus forgives us once and for all, then why do we need to keep praying this? You know, do I have to kind of keep crucifying Jesus? Like, oh, sinned again, going to need more forgiveness. No, Jesus' forgiveness covers all of our lives, right? It covers every sin, past, present, and future. So why do we come in here every Sunday and repent? Why do we remind ourselves of his forgiveness? Because I need to be reminded of that. I need a fresh opportunity to repent and remind myself of my spiritual need before the Lord. That's why we continue to ask for his forgiveness. He's already given it to us in Jesus. The treasure house is already there. I just need to go back and open the door again and remind myself. And I need to hear of the forgiveness he freely offers. But then he gives us a stark warning. 
He says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then he explains it a little bit more in verses 14 and 15 when he says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, my first response is, who then can be forgiven? My forgiveness of others is so imperfect. If Jesus means that I cannot be saved apart from forgiving somebody else, well, now we've added yet another sin on the pile. We've added, we've had another, we've added another condition that I cannot keep. So what is it that Jesus is saying? One writer puts it this way. This is an aspiration rather than a limitation. It's something that we want to see. Because none of us could be forgiven. If this, if this were a limitation, none of us could be forgiven because our forgiveness is so imperfect. What Jesus is showing us is that the more you experience divine grace, the more you know the forgiveness of God, the more you are able to forgive others who sin against you. And the reverse is true. If you find yourself unable to forgive, if you, and this is the warning, if you find yourself unable to forgive, if you find yourself harboring a bitter spirit, unable to forgive those who have sinned against you, then it's highly likely that you have not experienced the forgiving grace of God. And we're going to see that again later in a parable that Jesus tells. And so if that's you, if that's where you are, This morning, ask God to reveal the depth of his forgiving grace and kindness to you. If you realize that you are, I mean, we're coming to the table this morning. And one of the conditions for coming to the table is that we are at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we realize we need to ask the Lord to reveal those those log jams to us. Are we harboring a spirit of unforgiveness of bitterness we need to ask the lord to help us through that to see his own mercy so that our hearts will be softened in that vein um on the resource table out in the gathering area there's a um, a magazine our denominational magazine uh, called by faith and there's actually an article in by faith uh this issue of by faith on forgiveness Uh, there's also one in there on um Men and one on um, praying in the church, I would highly recommend that you grab that on your way out today. A lot of good food for thought in that, in that magazine. So we need God's provision. We need God's pardon, his forgiveness. We also need his protection. Now, I asked the students on Wednesday night and I asked the guys in my discipleship group uh, to think about the prayers that they had heard throughout their lives So I'm going to ask you, go ahead and think about all the prayers that you've listened to uh, throughout your lives. If you've been around praying people, um, how often have you heard prayers of protection? Right. I feel like that's like the lion's share of prayers that we pray, like 70 or 80 percent. We are like we are really worried that we're not going to get where we're going to go because we are praying about that all the time. Right. Like one of our key prayers for people is that God would protect us. Um. So it's interesting uh, that 
that Jesus doesn't really include any prayers for traveling mercies uh, in, uh, in his prayer here. But he does include a prayer for protection. He says this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is a, this is a twofold prayer. He says, bring me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. The first one. Uh, about temptation really is a prayer that God would protect me from myself. Temptation, uh, it's the same word that's used in other places of trial and testing. And here's where there's a little bit of confusion. Uh, the Bible teaches us that we are often tried and tested. In fact, that God uses trials and testings to purify us, to strengthen us. Uh, James 1, 12 through 14 would be a, a passage you could go to and read. So, why would Jesus teach us to pray this uh, if God uses trials and testings to purify us and to strengthen us? Well, when he says, do not bring me into temptation, here's, here's what he's talking about. There's that moment when sin presents itself to you. Again, let me not throw you in my boat. There's that moment when sin presents itself to me where I start going through that mental calculus of like, okay, I might could get away with this. And no one would ever know. Right? That's the moment that I need to be protected from. I think it was my uh, professor and friend, Derek Thomas, who said that temptation is when desire and opportunity meet. Uh, That what I want and the opportunity to get it come together. And so I've used this illustration before. If you starved me for two days... And then locked me in a room full of Starburst and Skittles, I would have no problems whatsoever. Because I do not find that candy appetizing in the least bit. Right? Uh, There's plenty of opportunity, but I don't have the desire. Right? Now, if you locked me in a room full of dark chocolate Reese's peanut butter cups... Now I'm in trouble, right? Now, desire and opportunity, look, you don't even have to starve me for two days in order for me to be in trouble, okay? There's a reason those don't last very long in our house. Uh, desire, when de- desire and opportunity come together, that's temptation, and that's what Jesus is teaching us to pray, because when that happens, I'm going to fail. And I'm asking, I'm asking the Lord to keep me out of those situations, um, by the way, that won't be a battle that we win this side of heaven. It's when we can fight, and so when we're going to lose some, and we'll experience some victory as well. I don't mean to paint it as completely hopeless, but we're praying that Jesus would keep us from those moments. And then the second part of that prayer is protect me from evil or the evil one. It's unclear uh, which one it is, but either way, God is, uh, this prayer is asking God to protect me from, uh, from external evil. If the first part is internal evil, the evil within me, the second part is external evil. Those things that would work against me from the outside. So that certainly includes Satan, the evil one, and all of the forces he would use to trip me up and cause me harm. Like how Martin Luther puts it in his hymn, a mighty fortress, 
uh, him you may have heard. He says this, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. We have a strong enemy. Think of a bully. He's strong. He's subtle. His words are deceitful and damaging. And he's mean. His only reason for living seems to be the pain of others. And that's who we're up against. We are not a match for him. But here's the good news. Luther continues. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Right? Jesus teaches us to pray this because our striving is losing. If we, if we only rely on our own strength, our striving would be losing. He keeps going. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is he. Lord of hosts, armies. His name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. That's our hope, friend. If you're in Christ, what Jesus is really teaching you here is to trust in him. He's the only one who can provide. He's the only one who can pardon. He's the only one who can protect. Still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. On earth is not his equal. But we have the one who must win the battle. Is that true of you? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus? If you have... He's already won the battle for you. Our enemy met his match at the cross of Calvary. So that word Satan, it means accuser. And so what Satan wants to do is he wants to bring all of that record of debt. All of those secret thoughts and deeds no one else sees. That record of debt that stands between you and God. And he wants to bring that into the courtroom and say, look here. Look at how awful Kevin Corley is. But as we heard earlier from Colossians at the cross, Jesus takes that record of debt. And he nails it to the cross. So that we bear it no more. That's the hope of the gospel. Not that I can pay my debt, but that Jesus has already paid it. For me. Is that your hope this morning? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus and found forgiveness from him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the gift of prayer. Thank you for being a God who cares about our needs, who meets our needs. Thank you for